Welcome to the Dogsthorpe Infant School, part of Hampton Academy's Trust. This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster, the Dogsthorpe Infant School Wellbeing Dog. Eddie and Captain Dave are in the Learning Journey rocket, ready for takeoff. This is your captain speaking. We've been cleared for departure. Five, four, three, two, one. Many of our listeners have children, some of our teachers who listen. And it's fair to say that amongst you all, there must be some who have children who've become fussy eaters. Now, Elizabeth Roberts has been a state registered dietitian for many years. She's built up a great interest in how children learn to eat when she started working with kids and their families who were referred simply because they were fussy eaters. Often parents thought there was something wrong with their, with their child, but mostly the children were just responding in natural ways to often unnatural food environments. Now, parents just didn't know what to do about it. And I'm sure there's some of you listening to this who will probably be in the same place. And they were amazed when the science and the evolution were explained to them by Elizabeth. Now, these cases and experiences led Elizabeth to write her book, Help My Toddler Is Not Eating, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, because it's why Eddie and I are delighted to welcome Elizabeth Roberts onto the show today to tell parents and teachers listening more about this fascinating subject. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you very much, Dave and Eddie. Thank you for having me. Can we begin by asking you, Elizabeth, about how you came to write the book and perhaps share with us some of the key areas of your research and experience over the years? I wrote the book, um, I was working with families um, in Newport in Wales at the time actually, Um, and families and children were referred to me um, because they weren't, children weren't eating very well. So um, so as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a state registered dietitian. So I, I sort of knew what children should be eating, but how to get them to eat it was the really difficult thing. Um, So I kind of embarked on this journey of researching why it is that children um, eat certain things, don't eat other things and how they learn to eat um, and created a program for families. Um, And it's on the basis of that program, really, and my experiences of that time that I came to write the book about it, because so much is so once you've once you've looked into it and understand how children learn to eat, eat some of it is so obvious, really, and also a little bit logical, but it seems really illogical to parents why children behave in certain ways around food. And it's very, very difficult for parents, isn't it? I'm, I haven't got children of my own, but I, I'm with Eddie. Eddie is the same. That sometimes if, if he's playing me up, it's just as easy to give in to him uh, and just say, oh, here, I take it. You know, I know that you want this bone, so just take it because at least then I can have a bit of peace. And, and I'm guessing that that's the same for parents who've got, uh, got children in front of them who just, you give them a good, healthy meal, but they just don't want it. So it's, it is a big problem, isn't it, Elizabeth? 
It is. And now you talk about Eddie there and his bone. So one thing that we sometimes forget is that lots of animals like Eddie, they have instinct about what to eat and what not to eat. So there's certain things so they're born knowing what to eat. So, for example, lions are born knowing that they need to hunt. A lion is never going to be confused and try and eat a tree or a fruit or, or maybe they do eat a little bit of grass. But, um, but humans aren't born with very much instinct about what to eat. So th this has been really good for humans because it's enabled us to live in all different parts of the world with all different diets and um, different types of foods available. But it also means that we have to learn what is good to eat and what is not good to eat. Um, and this is what children are doing. They're learning what to eat. And I think sometimes we forget that as adults because we've already learned. We've already learned what to eat, what is good. Most often, if we see a food, we kind of know what that's going to be like. We know what it's going to taste like. We know how much we like it or we don't like it. We know what it's going to feel like in our mouth. We know what's going to happen to it when we move it from the plate onto the fork and into our mouth, whether the texture is going to change. But children don't know this. They're just learning it. So each new food for them is a new experience and they don't actually know, am I going to like this? What's it going to be like? Um, so they're, they're, they're still learning that. And I think we sometimes forget that as adults. We've had uh, new nutritionists on the on the show before. And uh, what they've said is that the earlier that you can that you can get your child to eat the healthy stuff, the fruit and the veg, the the quicker it will be and the easier it will be later on. Um, would you would you say would you concur with that? Would you say that's that's right? Yeah, absolutely. And the research has shown us that the more types of food a young child eats, then the more likely they are to try new types of food as well. Um, so introducing it early on. Another really key thing is, is role modelling. And I, and I go back to this so many times that how children learn what is good to eat, they learn it by eating it and experiencing what happens um, and also by observing other people in their social group. Um, and if you think that traditionally over many um, centuries, we all ate together as a family, yeah. And what young children are doing is they're watching everybody else around the table um, to see how you respond to this new food. And if the role models seem to want to eat it and seem to be quite happy to eat it, um, then that's sending a cue almost to the child that this is OK to eat. This food is good to eat. Um, and this explains a little bit why children often won't eat something off their own plate, but they will eat something that's on your plate. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're eating it. So it means this must be good to eat. Yeah. And my parents were born at the turn of the last century and then in the, in the <laughs> 19, 1918 that my parents were born. So they they were used to eating meat and three veg because yeah. that's what was there and we lived on a farm and it, and that's the sort of thing they got used to but over the years our diets have changed because new foods have come in my, my parents would not have even known about curry because there weren't curry restaurants around at that time and now we've got takeaways galore and um, mm. that's changed our diets and perhaps our eating habits not off not always for the good would you say that's true Yes, absolutely. And, and another thing that's happened with diets changing is we have possibly less um, challenging foods in terms of tastes and particularly textures. So a lot of the foods that we have um, available to us now is of a 
an, an almost uniform, easy to chew texture. If you think about sandwiches, you mentioned curries, uh, ready meals. So things yeah. tend to be of a, of a fairly easy texture. Um, so that can be quite difficult for young children who, if they're not exposed to more challenging food textures. So for example, you mentioned meat and two veg. Um, so meat is one that's typically very difficult for children to manage, to manage, manage chewing it and processing it in their mouth. It requires a really mature chew and swallow mechanism. Um, so if they're not exposed to that and don't get the practice of it, then, then they won't learn how to do it. Um, and that can impact the types of food that, that's then comfortable for them to eat, that they're, that's easy for them to eat. When you've got a child in front of you who won't eat, Elizabeth, or yeah. won't eat um, the, the, the vegetables, the plate of vegetables or whatever, uh, how do you go about correcting that? So the very first and most important thing in children learning to eat new foods is to not put any type of pressure on them. Um, that can be really hard for parents and I manage it, imagine it is for some of the teachers as well. The encouraging children to eat something more, go on, eat it. There was a, a wonderful study called Finish Your Soup where they split children um, into two groups. They were between three and five years old. And one of the group, the first group was allowed to just eat as much of this um, soup as they wanted to. I think it was a tomato type soup or something that was fairly pleasant for children. Um, maybe it was pumpkin soup. So the children were allowed to eat as much of this soup as they wanted. Um, and the second group were encouraged and coaxed to eat the soup. In fact, they were only asked four times finish your soup please, four times during the meal. And the, the researchers measured how much of the soup the children had eaten and also how the children rated the soup for liking after the experiment. And the group that was encouraged or coaxed to eat their soup ate less of it and rated it that they liked it less at the end of the experiment. And I think that that study really neatly um, is an example of why putting pressure on children to eat is counterproductive. Um, and, and going back to the kind of evolutionary principles, setting a meal time as, as it becoming something that's unpleasant, that you're going to be coaxed or cajoled at the meal time, makes the whole experience a less uh, pleasurable one. And so children will be less likely to eat or eat well. Yeah, because that that, that is a thing, isn't it? That I guess it's the same thing about why we're turned off of some foods because of the memory we, memory we have of them. Uh, when I was, I think when I was about eight, I'm about seven or eight listeners, I went to a, a fairground and my, my dad bought me a toffee apple and uh, I went on all the rides and I was, uh, yeah, you know where this is going listeners, and I was terribly, terribly unwell because I'd been on all these rides and now I had this toffee apple and now I cannot eat a toffee apple. And um, Mrs. Walters bought me a toffee apple once and brought it home not knowing. I said, I'm sorry, I can't eat that because the memory of, of and that trauma turned me right off of it. And there's nothing wrong with toffee apples. You shouldn't eat too many of them, of course, but there's nothing wrong with them because of our memory. And I know that it's some people have eaten a food and it's upset them. So now they can't even face it. So I'm guessing what you're saying is, Elizabeth, that if you have if you have a child and you force them to eat something, it's going to turn them off even more. Exactly. That's exactly it. And your example of the toffee apple is a really good example of that. That if we're ill uh, on a food, 
we will develop an aversion to it. And it's actually, it's really, it's really clever because it stops us eating stuff that is poisonous, taken from a time where things weren't packaged up yeah. really safe for us to eat. Um, your book, Help My Toddler Is Not Eating, um, does it pick up on, on these, these things? And uh, what, who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at, at parents and at, at teachers who are struggling to get their, their children to eat? Yeah, so it's aimed at both parents um, and anyone else who has is responsible or has care for children. And quite a few professionals have said that they found my book very helpful. Um, it, it, it goes through, it's a 30-day plan. Um, and what it does is each day is a tiny little bit of the puzzle of getting children to eat well, um, with some practical exercises after each day. Um, so you work through it um, one, one day at a time. And it goes through it goes through the nutritional part of it. So the first part of the book is more about nutrition. Um, and then the second part of the book, the biggest part of the book is about the kind of behavioral interventions, the things that work to to um, to get children to eat, to try new foods and to eat better. Well, that, that sounds really good. Um, and if it's a 30 day thing, it's a I'm guessing it's something that that parents can try quite easily. And that, and hopefully they'll be able to see some of these these green shoots are starting to starting to work as they get closer as they get through your book so that's that's wonderful we we do have the same trouble at school you may not think this parents but um sometimes our children react to what's on the menu now it wouldn't be right to give them burgers every day it wouldn't be right to give them pizzas or fish and chips every day because that's not good for them but that your children do react to what's on that menu and sometimes our parents do because um, their children aren't used to the food. But of course, as Elizabeth has been saying, you've got to introduce them to, to new foods so that they can deal with them, and especially at a very, very young age. And, and this book sounds like it's the sort of thing that's, that's going to be useful to our teachers and our, our lunchtime assistants as much as it is to parents. Would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. And it's just made me think of something as you were talking there, Dave, that... Um, as children get a little older, um, the role modelling of their parents becomes a little less important and role modelling of peers becomes a yeah. little more important. Um, so the school environment is a good time for children to be exposed to new types of food, um, but, they, but they have to be exposed to it with peers who are also enjoying it and sending the messages that this is good to eat. Um, so I don't know, but how it would work. But if you have um, children who who eat a wider range of foods, if you could mix them up with children who are a little bit more cautious, then the more cautious children might learn from the children who are happier to eat a wider range of foods. Uh, it's you know, talking about that that whole thing about foods. Children approach food in a totally different way, don't they? I remember that I was helping with uh, a Christmas we always give our children a christmas dinner of course and we was we was it's all hands to the to the to on deck for that days because it is a lot of children to feed and a lot of food uh, to to dish up because of the christmas dinner and um we were we were dishing up and we was giving them their first and their seconds together and um i sat down and, and watched a child who was getting his roast potatoes and dipping them in the custard and eating them because, and I and I sat there flummoxed by it, and I thought actually he's enjoying that, and I could see it. And afterwards, I said to one of the children, um, "I saw what he was doing, you know, dip, dipping your, your." He said, "I've never had that before." 
and he hadn't <laughs> had Christmas dinner before. They had, they <laughs> obviously, they obviously had something else. You see, for, for on Christmas Day, they didn't have the traditional turkey with all the trimmings. So uh, that whole experience about introducing new foods and new flavors and new um, feelings in the mouth is part of. Um, is part of growing up, isn't it? So I can understand that. Would you say this is? Would you? How much do you think that advertising um, plays a part in in children demanding the foods that isn't so good for them, and um, the way that the food is cooked? Would you say that is also uh, a big influence on children's fussy eating? Absolutely, and certainly for the older children, which, which is why regulations have been introduced about advertising to children. Um, children will, as they get older, will be much more influenced by peers um, and less influenced by um, parents and adults. Um, but nevertheless, even if children are exposed to that, the, the exposure that they get in the home, so from parents and from teachers of trying new foods, is, is still really, really important. Mm. Um, if I may, Dave, I'm just going to go back to your example of the, the, the young man who was dipping his roast potatoes in the custard. <laughs> um, just to say that that's a really good example of something that we call masking. Um, so with new, new foods, what can sometimes help children to eat is it being dipped into something that they're, that they're familiar with. So ah. a taste that is familiar. Um, you can also use uh, what they call dry masks. So powders, spice powders and things that they already like onto a food that's a new food for them. Um, so that's a really good ex example of that. So I just thought I'd come back to that. Ah. Um, so, so having sauces and dressings and things that they can dip new foods into um, helps the new food be more familiar because it tastes a little bit or, or it tastes of something that they, they already know and like. That that makes a lot of sense now because if they have um, if they if they hadn't eaten eat, eaten um, roast potatoes before roast potatoes are quite coarse in the mouth to think of it and although we give them gravy with it of course it's not completely soaked so perhaps they they just put it in their mouth for the very first time and thought this is this is taste funny and so then use custard to help it down. That makes a lot of sense now, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's something that I don't think I'll try, but. <laughs> and also, also yeah. thinking about the foods that we eat and the foods we put together, really our, um, our, the way that we eat is really a lot about social norms that certain things we eat certain things in a certain order or we'll eat certain things together and not other things together there's no particular reason for it it's just tradition and social norms mm. so so why not roast potatoes with custard <laughs> it's, it's funny isn't it that you know when I, when I was say, say talking about that in fact we were only talking about it the other day Mrs Walters and I and I said well maybe that's why you know Doctor Who not that long ago Go was saying that one of the doctors liked fish fingers and custard, and um, <laughs> and and I thought that's that's an important message, isn't it, to children that um, think out the box. But it is very important to make sure that we give them the right sort of food and just make sure that they stay healthy. Because um, we had when I was a boy, and because I lived on a farm, I had lots of exercise. Whereas now a lot of children mm -hmm. spend a lot of time in a sedentary position. Um, either on computers or computer games or sitting watching the TV or whatever. And it's and life has got a lot slower and a lot less healthy 
but the and the food's got, got less healthy with it. So I'm guessing that that's the reason why we have some of the problems that we do. Yeah, and children, um, children. I know we talk about healthy eating, and you were mentioning exercise there. Um, but children, particularly young children, they they don't really have a concept of healthy and what is healthy. They will learn it in time. Yeah. But yeah. what drives children's eating is is what they like, what they know, and what happens to them when they've had something. Um, so we can get them. I think it's probably more effective to get them to eat healthier foods by using some of the strategies of, of, of pairing, putting things with things that they already like, um, role modeling, um, eating with peers who like the food is possibly going to be more effective than trying to appeal to the sort of cortical. This is good for you um, because children don't tend to eat in that way um, based on what is logically better for them and arguably many adults don't either <laughs> no that's true very very true the the other day when it when we had the real hot weather that day listeners when it was really really hot and our children were still expected to come in the government still wanted the schools to open so we opened and our children that were in um we just wanted to keep them cool so we brought them round um two ice creams and we brought them around the first day we brought them one and the second day the really hottest day we brought them two one in the morning one in the afternoon when we <laughs> went into the classroom with these ice poles not because they were boiling hot but because Oh, wow, we're going to get a free ollie. <laughs> and and children, children reacted to that in, in such an excited way. And, and I can see exactly what you mean about children and food. Um, they don't think about healthy. What they think is, I like eating that. I'd like to eat that. Yeah. And then also my friends are eating it as well. And this is really exciting yeah. and this is really fun. Yeah. So I'm going yeah. to try this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was lovely. To, it, lovely to see. It was absolutely lovely to see. Now, this wonderful book of yours, Help My Toddler Is Not Eating. Where can we get that from, Elizabeth? So you can get it from Amazon. Um, I think you're going to put the links in um, yep. for listeners, Dave. Um, yep. You can also go to my website. I don't sell it directly from the website through Amazon, but my website does have some other information on it. And also a questionnaire for parents, an evidence-based questionnaire to assess how fussy your child is. Um, my website is fussyaboutfood.com. So that's nice and easy. <laughs> um, and you can also find me on social media. Um, so on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Doc Roberts Diet. Um, and on Facebook, Dr. Elizabeth Roberts. Well, there we are, listeners. Don't worry if you missed any of those links. Go into the text on this podcast. Just, Elizabeth is just one click away. And her book, a wonderful book, is just one click away. Her book, Help My Toddler Is Not Eating. Elizabeth, thank you for your time today. If you think that you can, uh, you, if you write another book or there's other ways that uh, you could help us, perhaps you'd like to come back onto the launch pad with me and Eddie and join us again. Thank you.